Screaming from the sidelines is doing yet another collaboration with another awesome member of the Believe Podcast Network. And this is somebody whose show I was on just a couple of months ago. It is called For the Love of the Game, hosted by Aaron Tobin Hess, somebody who, in his words, has opinions on everything under the sun, and he's not afraid to share them. So thank you for making this home and home possible, man. What's going on? Absolutely. You know what? I was looking forward to doing it. I'm shocked it took you this long, quite frankly. I won't be I'll try not to be offended that it's taken this long, but happy to uh happy to jump on. And yeah, I'm a I'm a Jewish kid from Long Island. Of course I have opinions. And of course I will share them when you whether you like it or not. But you will be entertained. You will be entertained. Yeah, I have no doubt that people will be entertained. Anytime I can have somebody talk that's not me and spice it up. That's the goal. You said New York, Long Island. And before we get to basketball, because that is what this show is all about, I want to start off with a little love to your New York Giants made the playoffs, man. I mean, people were not expecting this one coming into the year. A lot of people are still doubting them. But you know what? Their opponent, the Minnesota Vikings, also have a lot of critics. So when these teams met in the regular season, it came down to the wire. Where's your confidence level at heading into Super Wild Card Weekend? Well, it's funny you say that because I was on record uh, of betting the Giants season wins under this year. Uh, I was clearly wrong. I mean, I was a skeptic going into the year. I thought they were going to win three to four games. I I didn't see a path. I didn't see this coming. Um, pleasantly surprised. I mean, do I do I think that the team is a Super Bowl contender? No. But I also see competence between the coach and the general manager that I hadn't seen before. You got to love what they've done with Daniel Jones as somebody who is a major Daniel Jones skeptic. It's it's refreshing to see. And as I actually said on my show this week, given the landscape of the NFC, which the NFC is not very good this year in comparison to the AFC you can really make a case, and I, I'm trying to do so, that in terms of the scariest teams going forward in the NFC, I think the Giants may be the second scariest team in the NFC. The Eagles are banged up. Lane Johnson's banged up, and you know the statistics with Lane Johnson out of the lineup or compromised. The Eagles are not the same. Um, they would probably be default the second best team in the NFC. I think the San Francisco 49ers top to bottom are, are the best team. I don't think it's really close, but does Dallas scare you? No, Dallas doesn't scare me. Dak Prescott is as mediocre as it gets. Does Seattle scare me? No. I mean, when the giants played against Seattle, the giants were exceedingly banged up just like they had no roster and they're getting healthy at the right time. Uh, Tampa Bay scare you? No, but they should scare Dallas because Dallas never beats Brady, but I'm not scared of Tampa. Really, the only team that makes me nervous is San Francisco, assuming, you know, Philadelphia doesn't get its act together a little bit and get healthy, but it's funny you said, you know, what my confidence level is going into this weekend. It, it's actually rather high. And it, I heard, you know, a statistic in Vegas that, you know, 72% of the money so far has come in on the Giants at, at plus three, which that makes me a little nervous because, you know, that 
the Giants being a favorite, or I should say a favorite for, you know, the betting public right now that that's where all the money's coming and being the the betting darling when they've been disrespected by Vegas all year is a little alarming, but I, I feel good. I, they played them tough. The Giants always seem to lose on 60-plus yard field goals, which makes no fucking sense. Excuse me. But I, I feel good. I, I, I think the team's peaking at the right time. I think they have the first or second best coach in the league right now. The quarterback's gaining confidence. Dory Jackson's going to be back. Xavier McKinney's working his way back. Kayvon Thibodeau is, is getting super confident. I, I just, you know, I number 26 in the backfield is the best back when healthy and he's healthy. I, I think I, I'm weirdly confident about this team for a team that I've not been confident about all year. I can't blame you for the lack of confidence though. I mean, I don't think anybody expected it. It was like a four and one start six and two, just crazy out of nowhere. Obviously Saquon has had a career resurgence. The last question I'll ask you on the football front before we move into hoops. Has Daniel Jones earned himself another year as a starter? I think he's going to get a three-year deal, like one of those, you know, two guaranteed three-year deals. Yeah, you know what? And I'm not super high on him, but if you look at the landscape of the quarterback position, especially in the NFC, Brady and Rodgers are in their own category. But besides for them, you know, Jalen Hurts, okay, maybe. Who else, like, makes you – are you super excited about? I mean, probably I would say Jared Goff is the guy. So besides for Jared Goff, who I've always been more of a fan of than most, what other quarterback in the NFC can you definitively say that Daniel Jones doesn't have the ability to reach that ceiling? Can he beat Kirk Cousins? Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully he's better than Kirk Cousins. Like, can he beat Dak Prescott? Yeah. I don't have a particularly high opinion on Dak Prescott. So I feel like, you know, the draft gets so super weird with quarterbacks, right? I mean, I, Ryan Rastillo had the statistic that three of the five, three out of every five first round picks kind of flame out. Like he, Dale Jones is not a flame out, right? So if the coaching staff is going to be intact and you hope cop, Kafka doesn't get a head coaching offer somewhere else and he stays at the offensive coordinator and Brian Dable is going to be intact. Ride it out, ride it out. And obviously, you know, I think he's going to get a bigger number than you expect, but at this point, I don't think the giants have a choice unless they want to go with another stop gap, like Aaron Rodgers if he becomes available. I'm not really sure I want that because Aaron Rodgers is a diva. So uh, a two-year deal, you know, with the the option for the third, basically like a three-year deal, two years is going to be guaranteed. I, I think that's a very fair, fair contract. I'm curious to see if he, if on the open market, he's going to get more than that. But well, time will tell. I can't focus too much on that right now because they have got a playoff game to win, and I'm sure a lot of what's going to happen in that respect is going to be based off of how he performs in the playoffs. But Right now, like I'd feel comfortable with him being the starter next year for sure. And that's kind of crazy to say, given that if we had this conversation one year ago, a lot of people would have said, not a chance. One year ago, hell. No way. Four months ago. No chance. No chance. So that is 
the lowdown on one New York team. Let's move into the other New York team that you are. Ah, the bane of my existence. The bane of my existence. (laughs) The New York Knicks. So right now they're sitting pretty, I think, at the number seven seed. They've won eight straight in December. Then they lose five in a row. Then they win four in a row. And then that got snapped last night against the Bucks. Three 40-point performances in the past couple of weeks. You had R.J. Barrett get 44. Julius Randle had 41. And then last night, Jalen Brunson had 44. So you said the words, the bane of my existence. I'll just ask the open-ended question of, how is the emotional roller coaster treating you right now? So... I am as pessimistic about this team as humanly possible, right? My friends are, you know, are like, Aaron, stop being so negative all the time. And I I can't, I just can't. I, I just don't see it with this team. Now, obviously, because like the Knicks are like, are like a terminal illness with no cure, right? So obviously you want them to be, to be great because I'm a fan of the team and they affect my emotional mood a lot more than I'd like to admit. But I just, I I can't get behind this team in a sense where I, I just don't know, like what's the end game here? Are, Are they maxing out at their, you know, their peak right now? Probably. But, but what good is that? And the disappointment from, not trading for Donovan Mitchell when they were clearly in a position to make a a consolidation trade. And they didn't do it for a guy of his caliber who's probably going to make first team all NBA this year. I just can't get that pain out of my mind. I I just can't do it. So every time I see RJ Barrett brick a three, I just get mad when I see Donovan Mitchell score 71 points and, you know, score or assist on 99 points, second most to Will Chamberlain all time in the game. Like I throw my remote control. Like it, it's not a rational thing. Um, as for this season, like I, I bet their season under, I just, I'm not buying it. I like Jalen Brunson, but I never liked him as being like, if you say that like Jalen Brunson's like your headliner, off-season acquisition, like so many Knicks fans were so excited about. I just, I'm just like, okay, great. But like, what else? There had to be a something else. So I just, I can't get too excited. Kudos to Julius Randle for having a, a bounce back year. But we know what that is. We've seen that. We've seen what happens when Julius Randle tops out as your best player. And if Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle are your two best players, I'm not sure where you're going. And I, I just – and every time I see R.J. Barrett or hear his name, I just get mad that he's not in Utah. Okay, so. I think that's fair. I think it's all fair to say. I mean, everyone's allowed to be a little bit more pessimistic on their own team than just an average fan would. Now, another question I want to ask on the Knicks is – you're pessimistic on the team. What are you thinking about Coach Tibbs, though? Because I feel like the narrative goes so up and down with him all the time. Was a coach of the year. Then it was like, is this guy going to get fired? And now it's like, well, he's making something of this team. It's funny you say that because obviously us New Yorkers, and again, we're starving, right? We're starving. We're not just starving. We're like we're like that guy who's trapped in the desert 
who's like thirsty for anything. So like a little, little bit of water will make us go crazy, right? We'll celebrate. And then all of a sudden it's like, we're back to being thirsty again. It, I said it when Tibbs was hired and, and you can ask my dad about this. Cause we we've had this conversation before that season started. I said, I'm not sure long-term, like how long this is going to, this is going to be good because we've seen it with Tibbs. His teams just burn out. They burn out. Now, again, I expected them to flame out way earlier this year, being year three of the regime. It hasn't happened yet. Um, uh, it wouldn't be shocking if they went on like a 12-game losing streak. Like, I just wouldn't be shocked. I, I, I'll give them credit that they play hard. They play hard every night for the most part. They they never – they never go into a game where it doesn't look like they're giving effort. And again, Julius Randle's effort on defense comes and goes, and you can tell sometimes within the first two minutes. But I'll give Tibbs credit for that. But I also – I'll give him credit for scrapping Fournier, scrapping Rose, and just playing the young guys. I do think if they hadn't won that game – I forget which game it was that started the eight-game winning streak. I think if they would have lost – that, it was probably Minnesota – they lost that game in Minnesota. They probably he probably gets canned, but the in-game adjustments and the offensive creativity in today's NBA, like he just doesn't have it. He doesn't have it. Like he's he's not necessarily putting Isaiah Hartenstein, you know, uh, a guy who basically is signed to the mid-level exception. Like Kevin O'Connor tweeted about this. They're not putting him in positions to succeed. And again, it's a backup center, so it's not really a big deal, but it's just like, it's little things like that. Like you sign the guy who's clearly good at something. Why not let him do that? Right. It just, the offensive creativity is not great. I mean, they, they don't pass the ball and they don't cut unless Jalen Brunson is like breaking down a defense or coming off a pick and roll. I, I just don't see there isn't the pass to lead to the other pass. There isn't like the drive and kick. I just, I don't see it. And I don't know. I, I would rather go with a younger guy who's more, where there's more ingenuity. So, I, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm down on this team. I'm down on the team. I, I don't know where they're going long-term. Am I, am I happy that they're competent, that they're not, you know, a laughing stock anymore? Yes. But what, but again, what does that lead to? Where's my end game here? So I, I just I, I'm tired of you know striving for the seven seed and hosting a play-in tournament game. Like I don't give a shit anymore. Like give me something more than that. Spoken like a true New Yorker. And by the way, just to corroborate your statement about Tibbs' teams burning out uh, when he was the head coach in Minnesota, his starters averaged by far the most minutes per game when they were out there, and it really bit them from behind at the end of the season. So that is not just some broad claim from a disgruntled fan. It is a fair statement backed by basketball science. Yeah, Look. but you know what? I'm going to give him a pass on this one because he has young players, right? Like the game against Dallas, when they were undermanned, RJ got hurt early. And I actually think RJ, when he gets back, is better used as a six man than being in being in the starting lineup, if you're going to have Randall playing the way he plays, uh, I think quickly is a better fit. Uh, but they're looking at the minutes for Grimes, McBride, um, IQ. And it's just like, these are like 23 year old kids. They can play minutes. All right. 
they can play minutes one time. Like if they have to play 45 minutes in an overtime game, you're young kids. Let them do it. Like I can't kill Tibbs on the minutes right now because guys have been in and out. The only thing I'll kill him on is when Obi Toppin, who's up for an extension, doesn't play. And then you're just like, what do we have here? That I'll kill Tibbs about the minutes allocations. But in terms of playing the young kids, like, let them play. We're not winning a title anyway. Let them play. See what we have. Let them get reps. All right. I am way less qualified than a therapist, but I am much cheaper. And I hope that it will improve your well-being if we talk about other teams that are struggling and that I am concerned about. And the first one I want to get to. Yes. Yeah, so, by the way, sorry about being long winded. I mean, obviously you struck a chord when you talk about the Knicks, it, it it's a trigger. Like it's just like things just start going and, and yeah, anyway, <laughs> Hey, there is no need for apologies. You are my guest. I am on your time and we're here to just let it all out. So uh, going back to struggling teams though, the LA Clippers, it's hitting a point now where it's been a little too long in this Kawhi Paul George era. And yeah, I know Kawhi missed the whole of last season, but it's like for three years now, we keep hearing, oh, when this team is fully healthy or like it's a roster built for a championship run. Look, when those two are out there together this year, they're nine and six, which is okay. They've lost four of their last five. And then the most recent appearance they made together They got embarrassed by the Nuggets, who are not exactly known for their defense. The West is too good this year to be a solid team. You're not winning three playoff series with good defense and inconsistent offense. I mean, maybe you win one, but is it right to be just over this team if you are a fan of the Clippers or just a fan in general? Wait, the Clippers have fans? They're they're Brooklyn Nets West. That's a fair point. No, nah, the, the Clippers thing, it's interesting because, you know, as my my guy Ryan Russillo said, when you had the opportunity to get Kawhi and Paul George, like every front office is going to do that, right? Every single one. Kawhi was coming off a, an unbelievable finals run where he was the finals MVP. Paul George has been, you know, he, he was a top – five MVP candidate in Oklahoma city one year, like you do it right. If, if that's the opportunity you do it, the problem is, is just like, we've seen it over and over again. And the parallels to the nets are eerie because when you hand your franchise over to certain guys who are basically going to dictate all terms, unless it's Steph Curry, Giannis, Nicole Jokic, or Luca, and Luca will will see it doesn't really go well, right? It hasn't gone well. So yeah, it, the Kawhi injury thing is is concerning, and I do think that it's really just a lack of continuity, and that's the reason for it because the pieces fit in terms of you know the main pieces like Kawhi, Paul George, yeah. Their point guard spot is a little iffy. I'm not sure what John Wall is giving you right now. I've never been a Reggie Jackson guy, even though he's had moments in the playoffs when he's had the ball in his hands where he's done some things. But I'm not really a Reggie Jackson guy. I've never been a uh, Marcus Morris guy, a former Nick. I've never hated a Nick like I hated Marcus Morris. Um, It's just a weird collection of 
guys who are I got this guys, but you don't necessarily want them to be the I got this guy. And when you don't play together for long stretches of time, it's just going to not look great. And and Kawhi, for whatever reason, you know, I'm not sure how much of it is actually like injury. I'm not sure how how much of it is the Clippers like perpetuating this to appease him. Like it just it's just a weird it's a weird mix and it's not working right now. But you said something about the West being the West is being too good. I, I'm not sure the West is too good. Like if you look at like the top contenders, like they're all exceedingly flawed. Like, and you can make a case that, you know, I like Denver. I actually picked them to win the West before the season started, but you can make a case that the golden state warriors, even at being 500 are still the best team in the Western conference. And it's just a lot of jumbled up, you know, slightly below at above average to good teams. But when you're looking, when you're jockeying for seeding, you know, and these teams are beating up on each other, like you're not going to be able to climb. So it, it, the West is really interesting. I'm not really sure about to make of the West, but if they're not going to play together and they're not going to get reps together, like I don't see how they can all of a sudden turn it on the playoffs. Cause it's not like they've had tremendous playoff success together. Like they made the conference finals once. Okay. Like that's the, you want a medal? Like congratulations. I'm not <laughs> sure. I'm not sure if you don't get the reps in the regular season that the continuity is going to be there. Oh, I would totally agree with you. And I guess that's a really interesting point you make on the West. Like it is true that this year so far, we're not seeing the level of dominance of like what the Warriors had for a five-year stretch. Like that's not present right now. But I guess on the other hand, there's a lot more parodies. So there's a lot more teams that have playoff potential. I mean, like the Sacramento Kings are now a competitive team that has a real chance to make the playoff. Yeah. So at some point, you got to turn it around enough to get in the playoffs and get your act together. Now, is it true that there's any one force right now that will completely stonewall the Clippers? Not necessarily on paper, but I'm not like the anybody. Nuggets. The yeah. Nuggets is the only team and probably the Warriors, but the Nuggets is the team that when the Clippers see them, they, you know, the Nuggets just wipe the floor with the Clippers always. They're not scared of the of the Kawhi mystique. They don't really give a crap about Paul George and his personal accolades. The Nuggets are the one team the Clippers don't want to see under any circumstance. Well, we're going to get to the Nuggets in just a bit, but I want to talk about one more struggling team in the West, and that is the Phoenix Suns. Okay, so the obvious with them is that without Devin Booker, they're a lot worse, but it's kind of seeming like it's going a little deeper than that because yes, they looked so good to start the year. I mean, they were so good. They were top of the West at one point. Do you see a world still in which Booker and Cam Johnson return? Maybe they get something for Jay Crowder, who's been sitting out, and then they become that team once again with championship hopes. I mean, like, is this idea too far-fetched? I think their title window is completely closed. I think it's completely closed. I think I I'm not sure 
you can ever recover from losing the way they did in game seven last year and then expect to just like come back, right? They were a couple of plays away from winning the finals two years ago, but what's changed since then? They've had a heartbreaking loss. Chris Paul is clearly not the guy he used to be. Like I, I maintain that Chris Paul was the engine behind the Suns revival. Like, if you look at Devin Booker's career before Chris Paul got there, whole lot of stats, not a whole lot of wins. I know they had that one run in the bubble to maybe get close to the playoffs and fell just short. But, you know, Chris Paul transformed Devin Booker's career. And Devin Booker's obviously taken that tutelage and run with it. And when he's out, it's looked bad, especially because Chris Paul can't be the guy night in and night out anymore. He just can't. Like, it's year 18. Not everybody's LeBron James. Even LeBron James can't be expected to do what he's doing for much longer. And and they're just in a weird spot. They've got the Jake Crowder weirdness. You know, Cam Johnson's hurt. DeAndre Ayton has regressed and is clearly bitter about the way the contract situation went um, and his role on the team. Then you have ownership is in flux. So it's like how much leeway does the general manager have in terms of making trades, possibly bringing on salary. Like it's going to be weird. And, and muscle injuries are strange, right? Like you never know what, what could be with muscle injuries and bookers is a groin issue. They're far more likely to fall even out of a play in tournament than they are to, to make the Western conference finals. I I don't think that's crazy. You know, before the season, I did my Western Conference 1 to 15 rankings. I had Phoenix at 9 because I was fearing a little bit of fragility there. And they started the year a lot more put together. I thought from the first game it was a mess, but they pulled off an incredible comeback against the Mavericks. And I want Phoenix to be relevant. I really like Monty Williams. I have a lot of respect for what he has done and how he turned that around. A lot of people hate on Chris Paul and especially fellow Warriors fans. And I'm not always sure why, because what he did in Oklahoma. Oh, he's, he's, he's pretty, he's pretty, he can be pretty hateable. He can, but as a player, what he did in Oklahoma city to get that team. My favorite Chris Paul season, by the way, it's funny. You mentioned that that's my favorite Chris Paul season. I've never liked him more than when he was in Oklahoma city, because he was the ultimate professional. He went to a team that was supposed to be absolutely horrific where they were going to jettison him to somebody else. He goes, I want to play, turn them into a, a four seed, unbelievable season from him. Reshaped SGA's career. Awesome. Love that Chris Paul season. I think it's one of the most underrated, underappreciated seasons slash feats of 21st century basketball. And remember, they thought he was done, right? They thought he was completely cooked in Houston. James Harden wanted him out. He comes back in Oklahoma City. Not exactly a sexy market for a guy like Chris Paul who's accomplished what he's accomplished. I absolutely love that Chris Paul season. Anyway, continue. Sorry. No, and you're totally good because it's backing up a lot of what I'm believing in what you just said, which is, Chris Paul was a big part of that success in Phoenix. I mean, Devin Booker is all-star caliber player and he's terrific. But when Chris Paul turned 37, a lot of things changed and Phoenix has not looked the same since then. 
I would like to move to a team we've spent some time talking about already. They currently are tied for the best record in the West and have the one seed. That is the Denver Nuggets. And they are so interesting because the story of their season right now is poor defense. Like they got a bottom 10 defensive rating in the league. The only other would-be playoff team in that mix is the Kings. And they're obviously young and learning uh, with Mike Brown in his first season. However, Jokic is playing unbelievable basketball. They have a great record, really good at home. Do you see these defensive issues eventually catching up to them? Because I know this is your Western Conference pick. Does this concern you, though? Yes. Yes. And part of the reason why I'm rooting for the Nuggets, um, even though I'm a Knicks fan, I'm a sort of born-again Bucks fan because I'm the biggest Giannis guy on the planet outside of Milwaukee, but the reason I'm rooting for the Nuggets is part of the reason why I loved rooting for Giannis, right? Because they said Giannis could not win, right? Playing the way he plays. And then all of a sudden you're just like, no, this guy's great and greatness tends to rise up. They talk about Jokic and his defense. And I think sometimes it comes and goes like, I think he's a little bit better defensively in terms of being in the right position and being smart than he gets credit for. But there's always going to be questions about if, you know, in today's NBA with the pick and roll the way it is and people attacking switches and attacking mismatches, um, can a guy like Jokic, who's not a stalwart it's at, you know, defense, if he's your center, can you win a title, right? And I, I obviously think Jokic could easily be the best player on a title contender, right, on a title team. But... You know, their defense is a little is a little concerning. It is because if you're going to go against teams like like the Warriors or the Grizzlies, you know, dynamic guards like Steph and John Moran, who are going to put try and put Jokic in the in the pick and roll blender when it you know push comes to shove. Not sure how that's going to how that's going to play out. And I just I, I really want the Nuggets to make the finals just to validate Jokic in that respect. Um, but no, it is concerning. It is concerning. Uh, you know, regular season, we've never seen such a a distinct difference between regular season basketball and playoff basketball. And my fear of the Nuggets is like they're just an awesome regular season team that that can't do the things they need to do in the playoffs to, to win at the highest level. But I, but I'm rooting for them. I really am. I'm a big fan of Denver as well. And I would love to see them get success. I think that's a really great take. I'm not going to bring the warriors into it because they're really strange. And that when they're at home, they look like they're set to repeat. And when they're on the road, they look like they want Victor Wemendyama in the sweepstakes. Um, but the Grizzlies is another fun one to bring up because they have the same record. They're both 27 and 13, but they meanwhile have the best defensive rating in the league. It's them number one and the Cavs number two. And on top of that, they haven't had some of their main guys for chunks of the year. I'm not calling them perfect by any means, but it's two teams that have played very, very different modes of basketball with the same record and potentially fighting for that bid out of the Western conference. Yeah, no, Memphis is another interesting team in a sense where are they going to have 
they they need to upgrade the Dylan Brooks spot. Right. Like there's just too many moments. And, you know, you love what Dylan Brooks gives a basketball team in a sense where he's just tough. He's that pain in the ass that you don't like to play against. Right. He'll get in, get in your ass defensively. And you want him to continue to do that. So you live with some of the shot selection, but ultimately in the playoffs, that shot selection just just murders you. Right. So Memphis is going to be an interesting team to see what they do. But yeah, as for the as for the Nuggets, I mean, Jamal Murray is is the question mark. And I've said this for for two years now, like I'm not Jamal Murray's good. I'm not sure he's good enough to be where the Nuggets really want to be. And I I've if they could use Jamal Murray to upgrade that spot, I, I'm not sure who's available now. But like I always thought, like like if they had like Jamal Murray and like if they had Bradley Beal, for example, instead of Jamal Murray. At a time, I thought that was like a bit of an upgrade, right? Like I just he's the question mark to me, and it's unfair because he's coming off, you know, he's still getting back from a knee injury, and it takes him two years to get back. So, but he he to me is the linchpin. Right. And to make it more complicated, we saw, in fact, when he had that name on the back of his jersey, what he was doing in the NBA bubble was a completely different level. And I mean, yeah, but that was not you know what? That, that was the bubble was a glorified open run. I mean, like you saw like Anthony Davis played his best basketball of his career in the bubble. I, I I'm I'm a detractor of the bubble basketball i'm happy it happened don't get me wrong i i watched all of it but let's not pretend that it's the same when you have to like go into an opposing arena where you know crowd noise matters where you know shooting in an open gym is a little bit different but anyway the bubble was beneficiary to a lot of young teams and young players and that's not to detract from their talent level but it is true when you're looking at the history the celtics were young the heat were young the nuggets were young uh, Clippers flamed out in there, which was a little bit strange, but anyway, against those Denver Nuggets, bad. against all those that, Denver Nuggets, yeah, pandemic two, P, two three and one comebacks in a row. It was pretty special to watch. So, couple more questions for you. It is All Star voting season. Votes are racking in. We're gonna get the starting lineup soon, and I'm just curious if you could rattle off your ten man starting lineups: five in the East, five in the West. Because what's going to factor into your decision? Are we talking wins, total games played, how great somebody's been at their peak, or something else I haven't even thought of? I want your 10 guys. It's funny. I actually did this on my last week's show. Um, but I, I, it, there's no exact formula. It's kind of like you have to take that all into account. Availability is important. Obviously. I value teams that win, right? If you're going to just be a good stats, bad team guy, I'm just not, I'm not with it. Um, obviously the, you know, the individual performance. And I also just, it, it, it's all that. It's all that jumbled into one. You're not always going to be consistent in terms of how much credence you give to one aspect of it to another. Um, so yeah, it, it's kind of just by feel. There's the, it's not like, it's not like algebra. Right. Where, you know, it's an exact science. Um, but I think 
in the in the East, I've got Donovan Mitchell and Tyrese Halliburton as my uh, starting backcourt. And I mean, picking between Tatum, Durant, Giannis, and Embiid for two spots is exceedingly difficult. Three, right? Three spots. Three spots. Um, and right now, I have Durant. Giannis and Embiid, Jason Tatum's on the outside looking in. I, I gave, I think Giannis is the best player in the league still. So he gets the nod. I do like rewarding traditional centers. I think it's the position has been unfairly marginalized over the years. So I like to reward Embiid. Also, he's leading the league in scoring and Philadelphia is really good. And it came down to Durant versus Tatum. And I think just Durant's, longevity what he's accomplished i'd give him the nod there but he just sprained his mcl he's out two weeks but really tough but i i'd give it to Giannis, duran and Embiid. and in the west i've got i've i got curry and luca hard to argue there i mean i know curry's missed a couple of games but he's steph curry he's the final reigning finals mvp you know when in doubt Go there, right? I, I think Steph Curry is still the second best player in the league. Um, and for the forward spots, I've got Zion. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to LeBron as much as I don't want to, but he's been absolutely sensational lately. Uh, LeBron, Zion, and Jokic. Okay, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. I think the picking three or four of that front court in the East really hard task. I've been all over KD since the start of the season, so. Really bummed to see him miss two to three weeks with that sprained MCL because uh, just the way he has buckled down and been a big part of this Nets turnaround. I mean, he and Jacques Vaughn, uh, they went from the biggest mess in the entire league to a team that now should be taken seriously. I'm curious to see how they do without him because he's quietly shooting like 59% from mid-range. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. The efficiency that he's had with the shots that he shoots is nuts. Unbelievable. And he's also quietly scoring almost 30 points per game. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's funny, you, it's funny you say that because he hasn't had, like you've seen all these monster individual performances. Like Luko got 60. Yeah. Giannis got 55. Donovan Mitchell, 71. Like Embiid's going for like 44 and. 12 and nobody even bats an eye like Durant hasn't even had that one game yet where he goes crazy and he's still 28 29 a game shooting 57 percent from the field it's, it's nuts it's absolutely nuts what he's doing yeah coming off that Achilles injury uh leaving Golden State and continuing to keep that level of greatness should always be recognized uh I think another guard who I wouldn't necessarily replace Steph or Luca because that's really hard to argue, but I do respect Shea Gilgis Alexander a lot for the season he's had. Um, well, and John Morant, right? <laughs> like yeah. the, like he, any four of those guys could start. Yeah, no, it's, it's the West is uh, those guards and they don't even have Donovan Mitchell in that mix anymore. And it's still as tightly packed as it is. I mean, I don't think De'Aaron Fox is close to the starting caliber of an all-star, but he's I hope he gets in. Too. I hope he gets in. I, I named all my, all 12. I went through starters and reserves. Darren Fox is on my team. So Sabonis. Yeah. Well, Sabonis 
I think should be the one. If there's one king to get in, it should be him. Um, but yeah, I didn't he didn't crack the top ten in voting, and everybody was like freaking out about that. And I yeah, saw but, number but 10. NBA fans are stupid. Like yeah. Austin Reeves has votes. Like uh, we can't take these people seriously. I'm like the biggest Kavon Looney fan ever, and I'm like he's number ten. That's hilarious. Like it's it's not gonna get yeah. in over Sabonis, but. Yeah, I, I like how fan vote gets a tiebreaker too in this say of things when NBA fans will just pick whoever they want. Yeah. I mean, Derek Rose is still getting votes. I mean, what are we doing here? God bless him. <laughs> okay. The last question I want to ask you because I know this is a big part of your weekly routine. Big fan of the Peloton. I just had a workout today that kicked some ass. So, What's your next Peloton workout going to be? Uh, I, I did a ride tonight. I did 45 minutes hitting hills with Alex Toussaint. My guy, he's got great energy. Um, I, I'm a little bit of a workout nut, as I'm sure you've probably figured out. I On days where I, I don't have like – so I play basketball and tennis at least once a week each, right? So on days where I do that, I won't do a 45 minute ride, but I like to do a couple of 45 minute rides during the week. And I, I basically pick it on, on music and what I'm feeling. Um, Al, Alex is generally a go-to guy. Club bangers always slaps. Uh, his energy is awesome. I love the guy. Uh, but yeah, no, I became a Peloton groupie in April of 2020, where I'm sure a lot of other people did. I hated spinning. I hated it. In fact, I had an ex-girlfriend who took me to SoulCycle a couple of times, and I was miserable there. But no, I I, I love it. Peloton, uh, you hooked me. You hooked me. You got me good. Hey, you're not alone on the spin thing. I'll tell this quick little story, and then I'll let you go because I know you got some stuff coming up in about 15 minutes. But uh, I was at a spin class with my mom before COVID, maybe the summer of 2019, somewhere around there. And I was having all these issues getting the shoes clipped on. And it's a point where I'm just genuinely pissed off. Like, I don't know why. It's just the kind of thing that shouldn't have been hard. Everybody's doing it. And I just can't figure it out. And then I don't even know if she did anything that offensive. But in the moment, I decided it really pissed me off. Or she might have just kind of laughed at me. And I just Who, threw your mom? towel. Or yeah, my mom. My oh. mom. And I took her towel and just threw it on the ground. And then about five minutes into the ride, she's like, oh, how did my towel get there? And I was like, oh, it's, I don't know. It's, it's weird. Um, so, yeah. It's, fun, spinning was it's, not funny you, it's funny you say that about the clip thing. For the first three months, I would – I could not unclip, right? I couldn't figure it out where I would undo my shoes and like – kind of like kick myself out of my shoes and then take my shoes off with my hands and remove them. So I get it completely, but no, Peloton got me good. What's your, what's your ride of choice? Oof. Um, I mean, my top instructor on the Peloton wrapped was Emma Lovewell, but I think that's because I take a lot of her core classes as well. Big fan of Leanne Hainsby and Kendall tool, but Alex, your guy does have some killer energy. Uh, Kendall will just, I mean, I'll, I won't go too deep into this because I'm sure our listeners are like, dude, I don't care, but uh, I, I, I love, love the way I they absolutely go love Kendall for, I'm sure reasons that everybody can figure out. But if you really want to get your ass kicked, <laughs> Olivia Amato 
is she is by far the toughest, whether it's 10 minute abs or her hidden hill glasses, like she does not mess around. And for somebody who has the stature that she has, she is so difficult. And what, what makes what makes me laugh about it, and I'm not laughing in the moment because I'm breathing so heavy, is that she never sweats. She doesn't sweat. And I'm like pouring sweat. I'm just like, you're torturing me. I'm sweating profusely. You look, you like, you're narrating the entire class, and I hate your guts, and I also have a crush on you at the same time. Dude, it is, uh, I might just have all our listeners respond in with favorite Peloton instructor, and I'm going to, like, force believe into doing a poll on Twitter or something, because I feel like we could go down the rabbit hole all day with uh, fun moments there. COVID hooked us all on Peloton, but... I mean, yeah, man. Thank you for coming on the show. Dude, this was great. Do it. And anytime, uh, anytime. Uh, you know what? Anytime. I absolutely love the collaboration. I hope that you're gonna we'll continue the home and home stretch where uh we do we scratch each other's back and it's great. It's wonderful. Can't wait. Uh listen, guys, if you have not checked out his show, I'm gonna link his Twitter in the description of the episode, but also it's called for the love of the game. And you're up to like 190 total episodes or something. So I think 192 coming out this week. It's been an interesting journey. 192. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is like number 20 or something. So I'm, you know, I'm right behind you. We'll get there eventually. Had a little bit of a head start, a little bit of a head start. Absolutely. Um, Well, best of luck to the Giants this weekend and uh, to everyone else listening. I know I didn't talk a ton of betting, so I'll be tweeting out some of those on the NBA games. Right now, I got to go catch Warrior Suns and we'll see if I eat all my words on Phoenix. I believe Steph Curry is coming back, so that's going to take my undivided attention. And uh, well, I lied. Maybe I'm going to edit this episode on the side, but uh, everybody keep betting keep screaming and uh just like this new yorker keep the passion going for your sports teams thank you for listening to believe You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.